Mike Glover, dude! Holy shit, bro! It's been it's been a minute. It has it's been, been a minute. it's been over a year since you were on Launch Code, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You look well. You, you look more successful. You just look taller. Your your skin looks good. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, you are you're a practiced liar, evidently too. Huh? <laughs> yeah. How you been, dude? You know, excluding the the present circumstance, uh, you know that I think we're all going through. I, I've been fucking great, man. I mean, uh, I, I I have no complaints. How, how about you? I mean, you're this is your. I mean, you you've been practicing for this for a while, dude. Like you you've been practicing for this. I've been dreaming for this moment. Unfortunately, fuck um, preparedness, man. It's it's something that we're all you know. I think we've all been sleeping on and. Um, I don't want to ever take advantage of a situation in a circumstance like this because a, a lot of people are sucking, but um, right. we're not hurting. I mean, I'll put it that yeah. way. A lot of people are. That's unfortunate. Yeah. No, it's truly unfortunate. The funny thing, not it's not even funny. I don't, it's just a, a, a thing of speech, but so this pandemic started ramping up and be, just before that, so I had I was moving my books from my shipping container into my office, and I came across a, a stack of books on ham radio stuff. And you had made a post, so like it was like it was like ships in the night type circumstance where this thing was going on. You had made a post about ham radio operators, and I was unloading a bunch of books, and was like, oh shit. I, I got to pull these books out and uh, comb through them. So, you know, if, if people don't know, you know, Mike, Mike and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, he's in a completely separate business. We've had, you know, shared professional paths, that's for sure. But there's probably, there's only a handful of guys in the, in the preparedness, I would call it industry, that I would even even come close to talking to or finding them subject matter experts. Mike is probably the foremost expert in the industry, I would say, if not like one of five. Um, so, man, I'm excited to have you here because this is this is it. This is this is the time when people people should have been tuning in to Fieldcraft a long time ago, and if they weren't, then fucking they better now, right? Yeah, I think it. You know, it's unfortunate circumstances, but I always look at. I try to look at the uh, the positive end of the spectrum and. Um, if people are going to come more prepared after this is all said and done, or they're in the middle of preparation, I think when it's all uh, over with, they'll be better off for it. So, yeah. So leading into this, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're you, you've been doing a wide variety of things. And this, the the questions I have is like, and I know some of the answers, but I want to hear them from you. Uh, you know, you've been talking about pandemics and some of these other issues for several years. So going into this, and you looked at your primary alternate contingency and emergency planning, did you, or, or can you kind of explain the way that you're running through your PACE plan for your pandemic? And can you kind of explain to everybody what that looks like? Yeah, I always look at 
pandemics, I mean, pandemics are pretty easy to track via history, but there's no modern versions of it. I mean, SARS on a small scale um, did some damage, but not to the United States as right. much as it did globally. So when I look at pandemic, I think about infrastructure. I think about the collapse of governance, of sovereignty. Uh, that Those are worst case scenarios for me. And so right. on some scale, the preparation that you're looking for in a pandemic is similar to the preparation that you would look in what's, what we're facing now in containment. You know, they're calling it containment as a tactic um, right. of quarantining or isolation is, is a tactic. So I, I look at that and go, okay, so if I want to avoid getting the disease, the infectious disease, in this case, Corona-19, I'm going to get away from people. And so for me, it's real easy because that aligns itself with a whole bunch of considerations when trying to save your ass in preparedness. Natural catastrophes, man-made catastrophes, the list goes on. Long-term sustainable survival is how you're going to get through that circumstance. So we were prepped. We were ready to go. And now we're just continuing to isolate little specifics like ham radio. What would be the use right. of that? Um, or long-term homesteading which you know mm -hmm. which a lot of people are doing now it's it's a trending thing now it's trending as a hashtag so it must be trending in real life right so yeah all those things that we're paying attention to before because of long-term survival all apply to the pandemic yeah it's it's so interesting to me and we've been talking about it several you know over the last several weeks how many of my friends that don't share our our backgrounds have reached out to me specifically and they've been asking me hey what kind of what kind of gun should i buy let's say what kind of bunk like man you, you you've been sitting on the sidelines for i don't know how many years telling me that you know nothing's going to happen you know I, that you guys are a little bit crazy or you know i mean you've heard it all because <laughs> you've heard it all i'm sure yeah, mountains more than me but from firearms to communications to, you know, local medicine as far as like how do I take care of myself and my family and then even homeschooling on top of this question, all of this stuff has just been injected into mainstream society at this point. And now people are looking for answers to include myself because the one thing that I didn't think about was homeschooling. Yeah. I did. I, I was. I was not prepared to activate a homeschooling plan, like tomorrow. Now, granted, that's a relatively easy thing to accomplish, as far as like you've got to spend a few hours developing your curriculum and looking at kind of. So, because my daughter's six, right? She's. <laughs> we're not. We're not looking at it as far as like the complexities of calculus or something. But walk me through the things that you are doing from and i see it all the time because i watch your feed but from your medical plan internally the the average joe household where are they at medically where do they need to be mm. i had a good conversation with somebody about this this morning <clears throat> and the way i look at it you know all this correlates to the, the way that we operated overseas as mm -hmm. independent singletons in some instances where our reliance was dependent on us right everything that we looked at depending depended on us. We didn't have the right. QRF. We didn't have the support mechanism. So this is similar to that context. The yeah. one I look at, for example, med, mm -hmm. I look at it as, as an individual, you should be prepared with the things that are going to provide your support for trauma 
as well as your families. Now, you're not going to carry an aid bag. That's probably unrealistic all day long. But you have mm-hmm. a mob- mobility platform. You have a vehicle, a truck, a right. SUV, a Honda Civic. You have the capacity to put those pieces of equipment in that. And so I tell people, right. like, if you have a, a tourniquet in your back pocket because that's how you roll or your EDC bag because that's how you roll, right. then your vehicle should be capable. It should be an ambulance. It should be capable yeah. of sustaining uh, trauma or taking care of trauma leading up to the point in which you can get to upgraded care. Well, if we're playing devil's advocate for the worst case scenario, which I like to do, then you would look at your home as the hospital. And the question I got asked this morning was like, hey, man, do you think I should carry like a surgical trauma kit? And I said, well, it depends on how much you care about your family. Because Mm -hmm. if I'm playing uh, worst case scenario here, which this could easily compound compound another natural disaster, earthquake in San Francisco with COVID-19. Compound an accident with... um, um, you know, something, a, a terrorist attack in New York City, mm-hmm. we would very easily be in a bad circumstance. So I would look at surgical trauma equipment and then I would look at the reference material on figuring out how to utilize that equipment, tie it together. And, you know, most of this stuff is mechanical. The means mm-hmm. in which you learn are step by step. It's not like it's there's this vague this vague metaphysical stuff, you're going to learn it by the numbers. So I want to have the reference material on a solid state hard drive walking me through the diagnostic or through the mechanical process step by step, because if shit really hits the fan, I want to be there with a scalpel and the proper equipment to work through whatever scenario I'm, I'm dealing with. So on a small scale, be prepared because you could watch a YouTube video, buy a $30 equipment to stop the bleed, but right. be better prepared by harvesting the information. That's why I'm a big stickler for books, man. I, mm. I Every time I find a homestead, a survival, a medical trauma, anything in that genre, I pick it up as a reference material and put it on my bookshelf. Because if the the power got turned off and I didn't have any reference from the material, I have morale and I also have reference to do anything that I needed to do to take care of myself and my family. Yeah, and what's that? What's that look like when? Yeah, well, you know, to go back a little bit, you know, we have the we had the COVID nineteen pandemic. Kind of uh, when I when I look at the information hit the United States, you know, a week later, my wife and I were in Salt Lake enjoying a morning cup of coffee with our youngest three year old. My six year old was still in bed. Earthquake hits, mm. right? Earthquake yep. hits five seven. I, I run upstairs and grab my six-year-old out of bed. Obviously, you know, w- not obviously, but we live in an old and older home, so it's paramount that we kind of get out of the brick home before it collapses on itself. But you're exactly right, which is it's not the pandemic necessarily. It's the compounding effects of other things on top of the pandemic. And I've been emphasizing this point so often, it seems like over the last month, with people that I know, with people that I love and trust, because like, well, it's, you know, I'm 30 years old. The chances of me coming down with anything are fairly remote. I'm going, yeah, but if you're in your car traveling at 70 miles an hour and somebody hits you and now you have to go to the hospital, it's not that, hey, you're practicing good social isolation you're doing the right things but now you have to go to the hospital and there's not a bed for you there's not an icu 
and just trying to explain that to people and trying to figure out like where their heads are at. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was this thing and how we prepare and then looking at the concentric circles of our life. A ton of my uh, customers and followers are people that they're, they're not hardcore preparedness people and they're entry level. So one of the things I wanted you to walk them through was what does your med, your comms, your med, your individual tactical preparation look like? So we started with med. Like, what does that look like inside your house? What does it look like inside your vehicle? What does it look like? Like, walk me down that line, what that looks like. And obviously they can find, you know, field craft too if they have additional questions. But what does that look like for you? Yeah, let's talk med specific. Yeah. So everyday carry med, the minimum uh, amount of equipment is to stop the bleed, right? So right. I'm carrying a Cat 7 tourniquet, North American mm-hmm. Rescue Cat 7. It's proven. We've been rocking it for over a decade in warfare. Uh, when me and you came in the Army, we were using cravats and sticks. We've advanced right. a little bit. So the yeah. Cat 7 tourniquet, $30 piece of equipment that could set you up for success and stop the bleed. The next thing is compression bandage in conjunction with you need combat gauze. The reason I say combat gauze is because you want the coagulant. Uh, a right. lot of people who don't understand how cavitational wounding works, you get shot, you get stabbed, you're not just going to stuff this graham cracker full of combat gauze in that wound and call it a day. Uh, I've right. stuffed three or four wads of, of gauze inside of wounds before in real life, and you'll be surprised of how much you need. So you get a little coagulant in there, uh, a, ki- a chemical boost, you're going to be able to stop the bleed with that little vanilla wafer of combat gauze potentially. But you also need compression. Most people forget that if you stuff a cavitational wound and you fill that void, that's all fine and dandy, but if you don't have sometimes, most of the times, manual pressure, you're not going to stop that blade. So compression on top of manual pressure is what you could do to isolate that wound. Uh, in addition to that, just some some bennies. I do carry chest seals, and mm-hmm. somebody asked me once, they said, why would you tell people to carry chest seals because you're not teaching that? And I said, it's the same reason that you carry a toolkit inside of your vehicle to work on your car when you don't know exactly what's going on. Like right. you could diagnose a lot of things and you could learn on the fly. I want to be able to stop uh, the negative pressure from escaping from a person's chest, and I know how to do that. And I recommend people doing that T Triple C, that tactical combat casualty care training. Um, that's a minimum per person. And right. when me and you were rolling around in, in austere environments, we had those kits available per person. But we also, when we went mobile, we had it almost per seat. So if you were mm-hmm. sitting in that seat, you had access, ready access to that kit. And so the upgrade to your situation is imagine a lot of people think about treating trauma. They go, hey, I'm going to throw a tourniquet on. I know how to stop a gunshot wound. That's fine. But do you realize that after you treat that wound on the spot, you're Johnny on the spot, you're the hero, that if you're in somewhere like a rural environment, you're hunting, you're fishing, you're hiking, you have to transport now that person to a higher level of care, and that on its own is another set of circumstances that are right. pre- pretty dangerous. So having a vehicle set up with a, maybe a polis litter, they have mm-hmm. polis litters that fit in backpacks now where you could string that thing out and you and your buddy, hopefully you have a buddy, can carry that casually to wherever they need to be. Your mobile right. platform, uh, I would have an aid bag. And in addition to having what I would need to stop my bleed or my buddy's bleed, 
I would have every essential piece of equipment that I described for everybody in your family. Because uh, I, I imagine that 30,000 people a year die in vehicle accidents. There's 9 million accidents a year. Any, anywhere between 30,000 and, and 9 million, a whole bunch of people were getting injured catastrophically right. and some people were dying. If you could treat the trauma on the way to the hospital and sustain their life while you're transporting, then that's a huge benefactor. Um, I always want people to understand long-term survival, which is the home, you have the ability to set your place up like a hospital. Like if mm -hmm. you're above the age of 60 years old and you don't have a defibrillator, you're wrong because a large percentage of people who have cardio cardiovascular uh, disease and then go into cardiac arrest can be saved with the use of a, a defibrillator. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't think about that, but like I, right. I convinced my mom and her salon and spa because she has an older demographic that, hey, she's going to save lives with that. And they right. come with instructions. Um, one thing that we took for granted because we had access is extended amount of pharmaceutical drugs to mm -hmm. help and sustain us for anything from a bacterial infection, uh, you know, all the the uh, uh, Philly good stuff for ibuprofen. And then if you're a diabetic type one, type two, if you need right. insulin, the list goes on. You need to start looking at talking to your medical professionals to see if you could stockpile that stuff. Um, a large pro part of the problem with COVID-19 is on, in that same conversation, a lot of people who say out loud or on a, on a post or on a tweet, they say, yeah, the, the COVID-19 is no big deal. It's just like the flu. Mm -hmm. I immediately suspect that they're insecure with their current level of preparation. Right. right? So yeah. the way yeah. I just, like the flu is a guy with an AK-47. The COVID-19 is like another guy, his buddy linking up with him with a PKM. So right. it, they're parallel lines. They're parallel threats. And so the, the, the only difference now is we know the capabilities of the dude with the AK. The dude with the mm -hmm. P PKM, he's still running and gunning, and we're trying to put him down. But everybody makes this prediction that, oh, it's not a big deal. So we're not thinking about pharmaceuticals. We're not thinking about sustaining survival. And I think herein lies a big issue with the way we think in mindset period is we're, we're comfortable with where we're at. And so we're uncomfortable with talking about preparation. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, some of the things that uh, my wife and I have been doing for, for years and when I start to peel the onion, you know, I think a lot of guys – look at the company myself and matt or whomever we're we're funny we that's kind of what we're known for is funny videos but you know, i have made i have aid bags in every one of my vehicles i have a a larger aid bag that can sustain you know a, a more uh a, a, a heavier i guess even heavier casualties in my homes and my campers and i've got kids so for me i've got you know a three and a six-year-old we do a lot of remote stuff too. So I went to, I was fortunate enough to go to a wilderness EMT course when I was still in the army back in the day, went to another EMT course, right? So I've been able to kind of build my life in and around some more sustaining medical capabilities. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not like you said, right? It's, it's, yes, we have to stop the bleeding because if you have a bleeder, you've got to put You've got, you've got to put something on it now, right? So with pressure, with the tourniquet, with a combination of things. I talked to a journalist a couple years ago, and uh, he was talking about a course that I had 
I'd given him, I don't know, eight or ten years ago. And he, he was shot in, uh, in Somalia. And he stopped the bleeding with a pressure bandage on his left leg when he technically was using it as a tourniquet because he was restricting blood flow so, so well with a pressure bandage, a combination of two pressure bandages, but he didn't have a tourniquet. So he was wrapping it as tight as he could go. He stuffed something hard up against the wound, and he'd wrapped it and wrapped it and wrapped it as hard as he could do. He actually used it more like a tourniquet and a pressure bandage. But the other things that I've, I've been telling people is, you know, you also have to have this, you know, your trauma kit, and then you have to have everything down to, you know, the bee sting and the scrape as well, because that was one deficiency that I noticed with my kids. I had this fucking badass trauma kit in the truck, and my daughter wrecked her bike, and she had a scrape on her knee, and I didn't have a Band-Aid for it, right? And it was almost more traumatic for me for a couple hours because she's, like, complaining about, you know, I had everything under the sun if she was, like, to do, have something else go wrong. But that's one of the ways I've been filling out my med kids more, too, is everything, Neosporin and Band-Aids and, you know, all the way down to the, the, the granular details of, of your med kit. It will help. And honestly, you throw that thing in the back of your truck, you throw it into the back of your Jeep or whatever it is. When you need it, it's there. And you remember that it's there, right? You still have to dry. I I do dry runs even with my family with their tourniquets because I want my wife to dry fire her tourniquet every year. She's got to know how to use it. She's got to know how to put it on the kids. You can't just, if you think you're going to pull that shit out and be a hero, like when when it's time, and you haven't used a fucking tourniquet, but the one time that you're familiar with it and your kids or a family member, somebody that you love, their life is on the line, do yourself a favor just a couple times a year. doesn't have to be anything, but just when I say that, I, I bring everybody out. We bring out, we blow the entire med kit out on the ground in, the, in a way that's like productive. We walk everybody through it. We do tourniquet dry fires and all kinds of cool stuff with the the med bags my daughters don't get scared because we're making it fun and interactive right my wife thinks it's cool because you know she's 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 into it as well it doesn't have to be a heavy weight so that's one of the things i've been telling people fill out your med pack med bags a little bit with a little bit deeper scenario you're going to forget about it so try to set it on your calendar at least dry fire your shit. And three, you're also going to forget about it, which is a good thing. You forget that it's there until you need it, and then you'll remember that it's there when you need it. I came across a fatality a couple years ago, and it was a, 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 a pretty substantial car accident up in the middle of the mountains. And a truck had rolled over into the river. The female there that I came on the scene, she was, she was uh, dead on arrival, but there are two more casualties on the scene that I worked with before Life Flight had essentially got there. And I'd forgotten the med bag was there. But guess what? As soon as, as, soon as something happened, I knew exactly where it was. You know what I mean? Because it hasn't moved in a fucking year. I hadn't, I hadn't like moved it around or anything. So uh, I think it's invaluable for people. Your advice on the get, pick up books. Read through your SOPs. Think about your primary alternate and contingency medical planning. 
But now I think it's time we transition over to fucking comms. What what does your comms plan look like right now? And how how has that kind of changed now that we're out of the mill? And what are you kind of utilizing for your civilian comms plan? What's that look like? So I always roll, you know, communications in the military is exactly how you do survival comms. There's no difference yeah. between the two. Um, meaning it, you're going to have inner comms within the unit or organization you're working line of sight. If you're with right. a group of people, even if you're dislocated from that group of people, think of that as line of sight comms. That could be the Bass Pro walkie-talkie. You know, it's it, you go to Bass Pro, you pick up that walkie-talkie handset, you can get anyone right. off the shelf, and that's going to be good enough because it's a, a sliced frequency that's just meant to do uh, intercommunications. Nobody's going out there. Nobody's going to be out there interrogating the comms. And mm-hmm. I, some guy was like, "Why would you ever do that in the open?" I'm like, "Because I'm not right. fighting the Russians. You know, this is not. Right. I'm not trying to not get DF to and drop the bomb on." So. Right. Um, my primary communications has always been my cell phone, right? If the infrastructure mm-hmm. exists, that's my primary comms. I actually had right. a guy recently debate, say, hey, man, that's you shouldn't be using your phone for communications. It's like, well, if you're not using your phone for communications and you're doing latent comms that early in the process, you probably don't have a good squared away primary comms plan in the first place, <laughs> right. right? So right. I want GSM. I want CDMA. Um, and then I want the unlocked version of that, right? I want mm-hmm. the, the, you know, call it your burner phone, a phone mm-hmm. that's unlocked, that's a dummy phone that has the ability to text, that has the ability to call, and that's it. It's only there with a GSM card that maybe has a prepaid component. Uh, that way, if you're on your smartphone and it crashes, you have the ability to go on the infrastructure. Remember, right. CDMA and GSM um, are similar, but the baseline is your power could shut down. Your smartphone is is tethered to Verizon, AT&T, or one of the large companies. That infrastructure right. collapses and you don't have a dummy phone. You could still communicate on a dummy phone uh, with a crappy network. I would rather go right. with uh, one of the fourth or fifth crappy companies that do cell phones because they'll probably be up and running if things get compromised in a primary and alternate contingency. Um, I want to have that dummy phone. The next version of that is if you're in an area, and I re- the reason I say if you're in an area is because if you're in Africa and you're trying to use an Iridium phone, it's going to be difficult because there's a whole bunch of black spots where you don't get any comms via SAT. And so right. I would have a SAT phone with me in the United States because, I mean, you can stand outside every evening and watch satellites go overhead. That might be reliable in your area. Um the cool thing is like these things like the, the inReach and different devices that have the ability to use SAT to send a message, that's emergency mm-hmm. comms. If I'm down yeah. into my contingency, I don't need to have I'm not I'm not FaceTiming my, my old lady. I'm I'm right. sending like SOS everything that I told you in pre planning has gone uh, gone array. Please just execute the plan that we talked about. Right. Um and that could be as easy as a pro word. It's like Irene. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, shit, now I know what to do with Irene. Right. Now we're talking about inner communications where I'm not trying to communicate burst out to everybody. But the most important one is, I believe, ham radio sets. The mm-hmm. reason a, a ham radio set is advantageous is because, one, the way that it's partitioned, the frequencies are partitioned, is meant for civilians like me and you to get our certifications and, and ham radio license 
to facilitate the network. So right. the relay stations that don't work off electricity, the handheld battery operated um, uh, uh, radio that you have in your hand in an emergency is going to work. And right. maybe it doesn't work with the people that you intend to communicate with, but it's going to be that SOS call for communication. More importantly, it is the means to receive all the communication of everything that you need to know, especially in, a, in an emergency type situation. FEMA, right. all the Homeland Security, all the major federal organizations dealing with emergency management are going to be uh, transponding on ham radio frequencies that you could listen to. Um, and that's what I tell people. It's it's most advantageous as a scanner. Do I think yeah. you're going to have you know, your buddy in the relay station on top of the hill being able to communicate? Probably not. But if you have a ham radio, it's like having a police scanner for right. federal emergency management. Um, it's also a better means of communicating over the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, the redundant comms is, is the walkie-talkie handsets that I'm communicating next to my buddy. Um, mm -hmm. But with those things, with broader antennas and broader capability, like you hook that into your car and you got more amps to push more power, then you can push that signal further. And that's like I have a ham radio in my truck sitting out here. I'm going to Montana tomorrow. Uh, I'm actually doing Andy Stump's podcast on Monday. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell him you so. What's up? Andy, <laughs> it's a great guy. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing Andy's on Monday, but I'm going to be driving self-isolated and essentially quarantined in my truck where I'm not doing gas stops. Right. Um, I have all the capability to live off the rig. And so I have a ham radio set and I also have a Bofang uh, uh, handheld version of it. Yeah. So the truck's got comms. I have comms. Um, worst case scenario, I have the pace plan is in effect. Right. Well, it's funny because uh, uh, yours looks very similar to mine, right? And I'm I'm a, I'm a former comms guy, so this stuff has always been interesting to me regardless. And but I've got the same. I would imagine I probably even have the same Bofang handhelds that you have, and I've got them set up down here. So I have my charging station set up, and I've got you know multiple different handhelds for in and around the house because I don't have cell coverage down and away from the house. So if my wife's five hundred you know, a thousand feet away from the house and something happens even with the kids, I've got to have comms with her because, you know, if there's an emergency, I've got to figure out a way to get, you know, kids back to medical care, you know, in a way that's, you know, absolutely time sensitive. And so we've, we've built it, you know, very similar, you know, we've got our concentric rings of security. We've got our concentric rings of communication and medical and we've got them set up <clears throat> very similar. <coughs> Excuse me. And even when we were driving down here, <clears throat> we're in Texas now. But we didn't stop. We only stopped for fuel. So I had to make fuel stops. That was it. Uh, but we pre, pre we prepared our own meals. You know, we, we, we shit in our own, you know, toilets and the whole nine, right? So everything was self-contained. We had everything pre-planned as far as where we were going, what stops we were going to make. You know, we weren't going to separate. Obviously, it's a, that's not in the cards for the family at this point. And, you know, one of the other things that my wife, my wife and I have been talking about, and I agree with you with the cell phone piece, which is I, mean, I have a group of friends, too, that are adamant about the cell phones are tracking me and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, dude. 
I use my cell phone so much because it's my computer that I carry around. I mean, it's my computer. I carry it around in my back pocket. We're fortunate enough to live in that time where we can carry a fucking computer around in our pocket. Well, just use it and be smart about it and be less concerned with, you know, the government tracking you down for your, you know, your your registered SBR <laughs> and maybe more concerned for, you know, how you communicate. I, I do the same exact thing that you do. I've got a burner phone that I keep right in the same box with my sat phone. So I've got a sat phone. I've got a spot. And I did that before. I, I did that before. There was, uh, I guess I, I should say, even before Black Rifle was concerned, I've had a sat phone for I don't know how long, since we were using them downrange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think back to, when we think back to the, like, the apocalyptic conditions we worked in, I, would, I, I tell this story to people all the time. They're like, well, we, what were comms like? And I was like, oh, I had a strip of Velcro on the dash, and I had, you know, a stack of cell phones on there because... You know, sometimes this network worked in this area and this network worked in this Mm -hmm. area. And, you know, and then sometimes this model of phone worked, but the battery would just like drain. I couldn't charge it on the on the car. And, you know, and then you have your satcom, you have your radio. It's like you have a ton of different communications floating around in the vehicle. But after a while, it became kind of second nature. You just Velcro one back, pull the other one off, make phone calls, do what you needed to do. And yeah, you had to do some juggling around, but it really wasn't that big of a deal, right? Uh, the next thing that I wanted to talk about was, so when you look at your individual security and how, like, you're a highly trained dude. Like, I mean, I know that. I think your 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 following knows that. But for the average person, it's like, I'm just now getting in and I need to buy a firearm or I just bought one. What does your firearms training and what type of firearms are you suggesting and putting out to kind of the lay person out there? Like walk us through your walk us through that piece. Yeah, I, I'm a so I've been getting asked this question a lot. Obviously, I, I got mm-hmm. a text this morning from a buddy of mine who owns a gun store on the Tucson, uh, you know, on the border of uh, Arizona, and Mexico. And 80% of their gun sales this month, uh, or the fiscal month, uh, 30 days, um, 80% are new gun owners. So for the first yeah. time in a long time, and, and the highest time in history, we're selling the most amount of guns to the newest amount of people, which I think inherently, as long as these people are getting trained, is a good thing, right? I, right. I want, our number one, is, I got recently asked that question about security, like where's security stand in your you know, your plan, your ops plan and preparedness. And it's number one. It, yeah. it, it's always been number one. It, since our right. infantry days, since our combat arms days, it's always number one. And But but for me, just on security, it doesn't necessarily just mean self-defense with a gun, right? It's yeah. not just about that. It, it, it involves uh, risk mitigation. It involves mm-hmm. situational awareness. It involves... You walk, you roll up on a scene of an accident. Hey, securing the scene of the accident before you treat a casualty. You run out in the middle of the road, then you get hit by a car because the car's not right. paying attention. That's security. On the topic of handguns, I'm simple, man. If people say, "Hey, what gun do I get?" and I don't dance around it, That's, Glock 19 is the gun yeah. you should get. The reason I, I I want people to go with Glocks, period, is it's a single action only Glock. It it 
with one in the chamber, the only thing you have to know as a new gun owner is you pull the trigger. That's right. it. You point it, you hold it the best you can, and you pull the trigger, and you're going to go to work. And I, I, I hate to say it that way, but I'm saying it that way because I want people to understand that being very good at a gun, even in our career field or prior career field in special operations, it, we are not masters of ninja skills because there's a ninja skill. We're masters right. of ninja skills because we reverted back to the basic and we mastered fundamentals. And so you can get through a gunfight by following fundamentals. Glock 19, mm -hmm. uh, 15 round mag, I would do a plus two well, base mm -hmm. plate. Uh, I'd carry one in the chamber, so I'd top that off, obviously, obviously, after you loaded it. I would carry that on my person in appendix carry, meaning in your waistband. I mean, when, when you trained me, half the guys that we were training with didn't carry appendix at all because yeah. they, we had the option to carry overt with a, mm -hmm. a draped uh, piece of cloth. I actually think, without going into too much detail, that our prior career field is who invented appendix carry. Because mm -hmm. my whole thing with uh, appendix carry is if you carry on your waist waistband on the side of your hip joint and you sit down in a vehicle, the first time you do that, you're probably going to say, this sucks, I'm not going to carry this pistol. Or you'll just leave it yeah. at home because it's uncomfortable. It has right. to be comfortable. That's why I'm a big proponent of carrying a pistol inside of an everyday carry pack. I carry yeah. a yeah. Patagonia 8-liter mm -hmm. fly fishing bag, and I recommend people upgrade their situation uh, depending on their circumstance. Um, I also recommend that people carry an additional magazine, uh, whether mm -hmm. that's in your car or in your bag, you should have an additional mag. And then I recommend that if you carry that gun, you don't do this Israeli carry where you're not having one in the chamber because you don't have a means to, to capture the pistol with uh, with the proper amount of safety mechanisms built in retention. So mm -hmm. a holster that goes click when you put it into it is the best setup. And then having right. a means to retain the holster in the bag so you pull the gun, this holster stays inside the bag is what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. Glock 19 all the way, man, single action only. Um, you, want a, you want a good baseline? Uh, a selfish plug for me is go to my Instagram and I do free videos on IGTV yeah. walking you for hours. It's so boring for me because yeah. I do it for a living. But for you, it might make sense and, and, and it's completely free. Yeah, I, I was going to plug either way on that because, like I said, there's only a few guys, honestly, on the internet that I think you should trust. I can count them on five five fingers, typically. Mike is one of those guys. That's why I wanted to have this phone call. It's because this is your profession. This is what you do every day. You know, I, I, I sell coffee, so I don't want people to listen to my my bullshit when i'm talking it right <laughs> like i make stupid videos and sell coffee man you know like i i want to i want these guys to talk to you about this and hear what you got to say i would 100 percent agree you know on exactly what you just talked about you know i've been telling people for a while because i i carry i carry glock 43 now every day that's what i carry because it's more comfortable for me that's I got my sick carry of, too. It's in my bag yeah. right here. Uh. <laughs> that that's what I carry because it's more comfortable for me. You know, I got a plus three or you know plus whatever combination of mags in it. I, I always tell people put a light if you can because if you're going to draw it, you never know what circumstance you're under. I don't like carrying a, a a flashlight on my belt either, so it actually simplifies my life just to package those two things, knowing that if I have to pull that 
it's got a light on it and they make truly great little lights for those things. And some people, they have light laser combinations and those things work really well. I would a thousand percent agree with some type of click retention holster, right? Thousand percent. And I, do you guys still you guys still sell those at Fieldcraft, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, we got them. Yeah, so you know you got to go to a good holster manufacturer. Not everybody's the same. You can't just you know pull one off the shelf. You got to go to somebody that knows their profession when it comes to shooting. You know. There are a lot of really good gun stores out there. I was just talking to my buddy who's a former uh, 275 guy. He owns Ready Gunner, Neil Curry. You know, he's, he echoed the same thing you talked about. A bunch of new gun owners out there, 80%, 90%, whatever the, the percentages are, a ton of new gun owners. And I couldn't agree with you more with, I think this is great. I think it's great that people are getting interested in firearms. The thing that people need to do now is they have to get training. You can't just go and buy that gun and think that, you know, okay, now my me, my family, and everybody around me is safe, right? They've got to go get training. Uh, and I know you've done a ton of stuff. Uh, um, you know, you... Where do you where do you keep most of your training videos, and what are you doing on the? Are you still doing training courses on the firearm side? Yeah, so we're doing them. We're limiting the number of people who could attend. We're doing split ranges now, so mm-hmm. uh, we just got to keep people spread. And, and it, for right. me, it's an assurance thing. It's it, it's important to to follow by some kind of guideline. We're taking our cues from the federal government for, for right. social distancing. But what I did do, like I just did this two days ago. I, I spent three hours in here filming all the fundamentals of our basic gunfighter pistol course, which is basically right. my first sentence in gunfighter pistol is, I know some of you guys showed up here to gunfight. I'm going to disappoint you by regressing your tactics and simplifying everything that we're going into. And I hate right. to underwhelm you because it's basic skill set. So mm-hmm. that video three hours is online right now for $25. Like, I, I yeah. posted it. My guys were like, well, dude, why are you posting it so cheap? I'm like, because there's there's going to be the volume because everybody's yeah. sitting at home. And why not? The first hour, we sold 100 slots of it. So it's a it's an opportunity to get detailed, in-depth guidance on fundamentals and, and basic training. And then when all this shit is said and done, um, you can take a training class with us when it's all said and done. And uh, um, looking forward to people just getting better educated on this. And I think it's a... Despite the horrible statistics, I mean, uh, I'm looking at the counter right now, 18,461 deaths in the U.S. We gained nearly 2,000, and, and we still got uh, uh, hours left in the day. Um, yeah. 500,000 cases. So who knows what the end of this looks like? This is a great opportunity. I, I call this the ISOFAC. Like, we are in mm-hmm. an ISO, isolation facility right now. Right. Uh, this is a great opportunity to hone skills podcast get information and knowledge uh, and take advantage of upgrading your preparedness yeah I, I i'm i'm echoing the same thing that you are in that and i think you know that's that's a huge piece of this which is when you go and log in and it sounds like it sounds like it sounds kind of like a field craft commercial right now but it's <laughs> i try trust me when i say this like i i'm not i'm saying I only know a couple guys, man, that are like fucking subject matter experts. You got to you got to check out what Mike's doing and 
that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because it's like you got to go to see what Mike's doing. You've got to log in. You got to be proactive in your training. You've got to try to if if you're new to medical, if you're new to ham radio, if you're new to firearms, if you're new to this entire thing. I'm I'm I don't like I said my network's fairly fairly expansive. Mike's the fucking guy. Like he he's the guy. There's only a couple guys out there doing this stuff. And I'm going to have them both on the podcast. You were just doing stuff with Sean not too long ago. I think mm-hmm. right before, like, so Sean's going to be on next week. So I'm awesome. just doubling down. Sean, you man. and Sean and, yeah. you know, we're talking to Andy, kind of the same guys that we know because we got to get the value out to people. Uh, the next thing, you do a ton of mobility stuff. Uh, I mean, we've done a ton of mobility stuff over the last couple of years. What's your what's your mobility platforms? What are they looking like right now? How are you kitting those out? We talked a little bit, but walk me through your mobility planning, what that looks like on the interior, what it looks like on the exterior, your toolkits and stuff like that. So my, my big thing is this truck. I mean, I, I took my truck last year on what was called the Go Rig Challenge. I took it from Arizona yeah. to the Canadian border. Um, I, I learned a lot of lessons myself in that, you know, I, I consider, you know, we've been to a ton of driving schools. That it's yeah. what we do, but we never really looked at ourselves as mobility experts because mm-hmm. that's just what we did. Uh, right. But a- after reflecting back on that that past career field, man, long range reconnaissance across Afghanistan, across Africa, uh, you learn a lot of lessons that are applicable to civilians. So that's where it's coming from. First of all. The first thing you should, guys should do is look at your tire situation because mm-hmm. it's the one simple thing at a reasonable cost that you could adjust to completely change your circumstance. If you run on slicks, for example, and not an all-terrain tire, well, you, you're potentially compromised because if you're in a front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive vehicle and you go off-road, you're probably going to be spinning wheels. I mean, we've had mm-hmm. those Team O'Neill experiences, and it all it takes is an all-terrain um, or mud terrain tire, yeah, and that could be a Civic, man. It could be a Honda. I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't have to go into detail about this, but I got a Porsche rally car I'm building right now. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> looks badass. It's like why not? Why not take and teach people that you could take your car, you could build a car up like a rally car that's capable with clearance, with off-road capability. Because the bottom line is, if you bug out, you're doing so because there's a bad circumstance, and you're trying to get to a better one. So mm-hmm. that's probably going to involve getting off main roads, which means you're going to be driving off, off-road. So I recommend a, a Falcon AT3W. That's my favorite tire. I run mm-hmm. it on every vehicle I have, my Land Cruiser, really? the, the Porsche, all, all everything. Uh, Where I are those sold? sold? Um, discount tire. All yeah. the main shops sell them. You have to request them. They typically don't have Got them it. on the shelf. But A3D, AT3Ws is an all-terrain, all-weather tire. And I, I've put 50,000 miles on my forerunner on that on that particular tire um they get long shelf lines it's a it's a great setup the next thing i would look at is a lot of people neglect the kit that's in their car we talked Mm -hmm. about med that's a staple of your mobility the next staple is the foundational survival equipment that you need in your rig plus the environmental factors that you're going to run into I mean, if you live in, like I'm, I'm going to, I just packed out my truck just now for this trip to Montana. In Kalispell, it's going to be a low of 16 and a high of 30s. Yeah. If yeah. I break down in the middle of nowhere with all the first responders concerned about bigger, bigger yeah. things going on, 
right. there might be a delayed response. They might not even get to me. So I have to be prepared uh, to make a fire, uh, shelter in place, uh, retain water, purify water. Uh, even I have old rudimentary ways of, of uh, signaling uh, for help. That could be yeah. a fire. That could be a signal mirror. The list goes on. VS-17, fluorescent yeah. orange. Um, mm-hmm. In addition to that, what I'd like people to do is take all the tools. You can get your – one of those uh, – not J.C. Whitney, the, the old uh, uh, shop manuals for vehicles. They sell them. Yeah. At, yeah, you can get them at any – any yeah, I know exactly store. what you're talking about. Yep. The Chilton, the Chilton <clears throat> yeah. manuals. You can get them at mm-hmm. uh, the, the AutoZone. Mm-hmm. You pick those up, you can get a list of all the tools you need to work on your vehicle. But if you keep that in your rig, you could also, if something goes wrong, you could diagnose it right there. They, right. they go, X, this is happening, Y, this is how you fix it. And if you have those tools on hand, you could work through that stuff. I have recovery equipment because I like to get off grid. If you're an overland traveler and you like yeah. to get away from people like I do, you need to be able to do self recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think getting a winch on the front of your rig is recovery. It's not, especially in, uh, if you're in Utah, I've been in Utah before where I got stuck in the dirt transitioning to a boulder and there was no, there was nothing to physically link oh, yeah. up to. And so right. I had to run a, a toe strap around trees <clears throat> Uh, about five different trees that were actually bushes to be able to pull myself in self-recovery. If I didn't have the straps to extend my my toe line or my winch line, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, I'm a big fan of Max Tracks. Max Mm -hmm. Tracks are these big skid plates that reinforce uh, traction on the ground. So if you're displaced because you live in the desert, the mud, whatever terrain, those things in a pinch, you throw them underneath your tire, and then you get the traction that you actually need. I've actually gotten stuck in the snow in Montana, and those bailed me out. Um, in addition to that, look, bumper sets. One thing I'll say about bumper sets is a lot of people forget that vehicles have gross vehicle weight, which leads to load capacity. Um, I'll never forget being overseas and being in an up armor Land Cruiser and getting stuck in like one inch of sand and going, yeah. this is a Land Cruiser. What the hell is going on? <laughs> right. And then realizing it's because we had... 50,000 pounds of armor on that thing. Right. So when you take the average SUV, and this is Toyota, this is Chevy, this is whatever it is, they have an average load capacity of about 1,500 pounds. You Mm -hmm. take me at 240 pounds, you take my buddy George at 260 pounds, you're already halfway there. I mean, you're you're already burning into this uh, load capacity. You take two bumper sets, front and rear, that are made of steel, uh, which I recommend, especially live in Utah, Montana, rural America, you take right. an elk on the front chin of any vehicle, it could be devastating. So yeah. a steel bumper with a steel loop, but mm-hmm. try to downsize your weight across your vehicle. My forerunner, which is a 2016 trail edition, I had I weighted afterwards, I had about twenty seven hundred pounds of weight. Rooftop tent, all the sexy truck vault system, yeah, yeah. bumpers, and it was the most dangerous vehicle I've ever driven in my life. It was like you know, it was like driving a garbage truck. It was right. It was had issues with the brakes, with the gas, with the throttle, with the suspension, with the with the uh, the actual um, uh, even gas mileage, fuel mileage, right. and fuel consumption. Um, so try to look at your vehicle like you look at your rucksack, where you're measuring ounces because they lead to pounds. Um, all in all, I like to be light. If I do bog down my vehicle. 
that's why I have a a a, a one ton axle pickup truck. I got a, a, a twenty five hundred diesel pickup truck that has a load capacity of thirty five hundred pounds. Right. I could have seven hundred pounds of fuel, two thousand miles round trip, and still be squared away and have a rig that's capable. Uh, those are just some of the things that I, that I would focus on. What are you doing? When we start at the tires, what are you doing for, you know, I, you blow a tire and are you carrying like big, what, what are those, those are handyman jacks, right? Is that yeah, what they're the called, the big jacks. ones? Yeah. yeah. Are you carrying high lift jacks on your Forerunner or what are you carrying for jacks and stuff? So most smaller rigs, I carry high lift dra- jacks. Yeah. My, my truck out here has 37s and it has about a 12 inch lift. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a Baja chase truck lift, so it's real good in articulation and suspension. But I'll never be able to high-lift jacket. So yeah. for in that circumstance, it, guys who have medium-sized rigs, you might even want to look at a, a, a flat-pack jack. And, and you could look at the ones that you, you straight jack inside of your, uh, in your garage or a mechanic right. would use that's similar to a floor jack. Um, mm-hmm. Even the the compression jacks, were just these tabletop jacks that go underneath, is a good idea. Um, what I would recommend is one: if you run less than a thirty three inch tire, which is most people, carry mm-hmm. fix a flat because right. if you have the ability to seal a small hole on the trail um, and get yourself off the trail somewhere more stable, that could be a right. parking lot, that could be the campsite. That's what you want to do. I, I don't, you know, you don't want to necessarily start ripping the bolts off of a, a tire at five o'clock in the afternoon on the middle of a right. trail. Uh, I would rather fix a flat it, get it to a higher level of uh, care. Uh, and then I would go straight into carrying a tire repair kit. I mean, if you don't have a tire repair kit, you, you're wrong. That's a, that's a staple of uh, tire repair. But even then, I mean, I carry full size spares in every single rig that I have with the right. same exact rim and tire. Right. Um, because I've been in instances in my truck where I have a 37-inch tire and I crack the, the side lip of the rim. And mm-hmm. you can't fix a flat that. You can't because it leaks out of the sidewall. And right. so the only way to fix that is to swap the tire. So I'm a big proponent of that. And then they even have bladders that uh, pump up underneath a differential. Those mm-hmm. bladders can get you enough space where you can dig a – use a shovel, which I recommend people carry in their trucks, either mm-hmm. a uh, – you know, an e-tool or a full size because right. you could dig down underneath the tire, create the space, get mild lift just to hold the differential in place uh, with a bladder. In this case, remove the tire and swap it out, and then be on your way. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I, I've been talking to people a lot about, which is I'm really glad you brought those things up. Which fix a flat. Uh, you know, are you? Do you have a compressor? Do you have like a mobile compressor that you mounted in your vehicles? Yes, every yeah. vehicle I have, I run a dual ARB compressor. Uh, in my truck, I run it underneath my passenger side seat with enough mm-hmm. line, obviously, to link up to each uh, point. And even yeah. the best compressors on the world, um, they need the power, right? So if you don't have the mm-hmm. power, it's it's a it's a uh, a problem. But there's actually some good. If you have a vehicle like a, a small Forerunner. You're running 31-inch mm-hmm. rims or less. You can go to, uh, hell, any hardware store and buy a 12-volt air compressor that's this big that you put, plug into your cigarette yeah. lighter adapter. That's just enough to get that tire, some air in it, uh, to get you off the trail. Yeah. It, so when we're, when we're looking at the, the mobility piece and you've got, you've got 
you know, are you diesel? Are you gas? Do you have a preference on any of those things? Because you're, where, where are you at? Gas or diesel, or do, do you care? Man, I'm, I'm diesel all the way. I, I'm diesel because, one, if you have a diesel, you have more torque typically. Yeah. Two, you're running a less refined gas, right? So you're, you're running mm-hmm. uh, with a more forgivable gas. Three, most EGR emissions uh, diesel trucks are limited because of the emission standards. The, the EPA manages all of that. If right. you delete a truck, my truck deleted with an EFI Live, which is just a tuner on a diesel, I'm, I'm getting 22 miles per gallon on the highway. But I could wow. tow 12,000 pounds. I could also carry wow. 3,500 pounds, but I'm driving a Cadillac that's getting 22 miles per gallon. Every My Land Cruiser, my 4Runner, shit, my Porsche, my Jeep, all those vehicles that are gas get about 13 miles per gallon at best. And so I'm a big fan of diesel because of the torque considerations, but also because uh, they're just better when they're more breathable and they're deleted. I've gotten this one a few times. So, um, you know, this is easy for us to say because we're, you know, Green Berets and we have, I, I guess, evidently there's a rumor out there that Green Berets are wealthy. But, you know, I've lost my job and, you know, I'm having a hard time with preparedness because I'm, I'm not economically liquid. We'll just say that, right? So what, what's your answer to that, man? So for all, I mean, look, I like my favorite, one of my favorite memes is that, uh, that EDC meme where it says like, uh, I EDC all the time. I'm br- like, when you're broke as shit, this is your EDC. Yeah. And it's like a toy gun with a, one of those mag flashlights. And I get it, man. This whole realm, especially around mobility, can get expensive. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're broke, what I look – look, the, the vehicle is the extension of your rucksack. It's the extension mm-hmm. of your capability. If you have an empty trunk, for example, right now in your vehicle, I mean, you're listening to this probably driving. If, you, if your trunk is empty, then you are not set up for preparedness because there's a whole bunch of crap that you can do for free. You could yeah. fill bins with preparedness equipment. You could put yeah. spare water in, in, in one-gallon jugs. You could take fuel, and instead of having, like, my this damn Titan fuel, extended fuel tank was awesome, but it was like $2,000. Even really? for me, I mean, that's expensive, man. I, I don't have a yeah. lot of money to do that. So, you, I just, in fact, I just did it on Fieldcraft Mobility on IG. I yeah. told people how to build an extended fuel tank on a budget. Total all in one hundred fifteen dollars. You can get a wow. you can get a twelve gallon flat pack uh, fuel cell. You can get a primed hand pump that pumps a gallon a minute, and you right. can get uh, all the adapters in place so you could have it hooked up. It's not going to leak. You're not going to get the fumes. And then if you right. need it, that's the extension of your fuel tank. For most cars, that's doubling your potential capacity with a fifteen gallon tank. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So last bit, I think maybe most important, psychology. What's, what are you putting out right now as far as individual psychology? Like how important is that as far as preparedness? Psychology is the most important aspect of all the things we're talking about. Like you, you had mentioned about the technical skills and, and, then, uh, and then under stress, it's a different realm of considerations because – if, if you take your technical skills and you're really good at it, it's not vetted until you suppressed it or evaluated it under stress. 
So yeah. I encourage number one people to do that. But when I think about psychology and preparedness, it has to do with your resilience. It has to do with your ability to bounce back. And a good indication of your ability to bounce back is how you take small levels of stress daily. Uh, I use this uh, example. If, you're, if your girlfriend catches you liking some chick on Instagram and she texts you some, some bullshit, I mean, I, maybe it's valid, but she's like, right. dude, why did you just like that chick's post? And your answer for that is like anger or all these emotions that don't warrant like you manning up and being like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, you, you got me. Right. Right. So some people, when confronted with stress, they do a whole bunch of extra shit that's not good for their psychology or their resilience especially mm -hmm. in survival. That correlation is a great example of how you react under high-grade stress. The only thing, that the, the, the big difference is the timeline. And high-grade stress, it's usually punching you in the face, maybe literally punching you in the face, and you have to manage it in real time. So if you're not good at low-grade, you're probably not going to be at, oh, good at high-grade. So when, when people want to get better at survival psychology, it has to do with resilience, and the best way to do that is challenging yourself in difficult circumstances. It's as easy, like people say, well, do I do a wad, you know, a workout of the day and just destroy myself? Well, that's one way. You want a better way, go out in the wood line. Uh, I encourage people who have never been camping, go camping. Because for the first time, you'll be cold. You'll be uncomfortable. And then all the things that you realize that you thought you were good at, you might not be good at. And then mm -hmm. when you go full circle, you're like, man, this hot shower feels different to me. The reason it feels different to you and it feels great, it's like that ranger school, after ranger school shower, um, it feels great because you for the first time have been through a difficult circumstance. So now you're training yourself to go in this loop, this OODA loop that you typically, uh, I've heard you talk about in depth, is important because now you're cycling back to the beginning going, man, now I understand this process. And if I wanna be better at survival and psychology, I just need to test myself more often. I need to expose myself to literal elements and literal challenges in life, which is going to make you better at that high-grade stress that you might face in real time in, in, in a uh, survival scenario. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm echoing some of this, the exact same things where I, 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 I talk about this in my family. I talk about it in my company. I talk about it all the time where uh, – we we have to use this as this 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 uh, this event in America's history in the world's history. We have to use this as an opportunity to become stronger as an individual as an, as a community. And I think it's an interesting time that we live in where you can take this and if you view it. I was talking to my wife about this for the last couple of weeks. You have to view this as an opportunity for you to go out and get better at becoming more prepared for something that might be even worse than this or compounding effects. So we've talked so much about this where, you know, we've, we've expanded our garden. We're, you know, focusing more on how to educate the kids, but we're incorporating the, the, the environment into that too. So, you know, I'm talking to my kids about um, astronomy and biology because we're going we're doing more fishing we're spending more time out on out in the woods we're 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 staying up a little bit later because they don't have to get up early for school we can look up and see the stars and you know 
I'm using this as an opportunity to make my family stronger. And instead of dwelling on the negative and kind of tuning into the fucking news every five minutes, I'm saying I do everything that I can. You know, I've socially distanced myself. I wash my hands, you know, every five minutes and you know, hose everything down. I wear a mask when I'm going in and out of different, different places. I'm doing everything I can. So after that, what my job is, is I've got to be, you know, a, a leader and a rock for my family. Because this, not to sound arrogant, right, but you and I have done some things that what I tell people is if you were to step into an average day of, of my life 10 years ago, you would probably go into cardiac arrest at any point in time just based on the event, right? It's, it's, you build a, a callus to it. And this is not a big deal for me to navigate through. It really isn't. But I understand and I'm empathetic to people that find this very challenging because it is. I have people that I care about that are absolutely at risk. I have, you know, 200 plus people in the company now. And I care about them deeply. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was I wanted them to talk to you and hear these things from you, right? What you're doing, what Mike Glover's doing and, you know, and be able to say, hey, if you guys have, you know, questions, if you want to tune in and become, you know, more aware of how to become better prepared, where do they go, Mike? Uh, all fieldcraftsurvival.com, man. We, we have yeah. a whole bunch of resources, YouTube, uh, the Fieldcraft Survival Channel. Uh, my personal IG is mike.a.glover. I do a whole bunch of stuff for free, just trying to educate people and get them set up at least for success. Um, and then fieldcraftsurvival.com uh, is, is our mainstay. Um, I, I just think, you know, podcasts are great because that's the way that you could take in and in long form uh, more in-depth discussion of what's going on mm-hmm. while you're sitting on your ass at home take this as an opportunity to digest as much information as you can the right information like right. like you said stay away from the, the propaganda but focus your intent, in, intentions on educating yourself and your family and i think that part of it ties to psychology because you're replacing paranoia and fear which yeah is is typical in these circumstances because it's unknown with being prepared, which is going to lead to confidence and, and people could build their self-esteem or replace that insecurity and fear with being better educated. And the more you do that, the better off you'll be. And just like you said, I'm in the same boat, man. I'm not sweating this at all. And it's, to me, it's very interesting. And I am empathetic because I know people are dying uh, and, and more tragically, they're dying alone because their family can't even access them to even say goodbye. So, if you're if you're one of those assholes who's saying you know fuck this is the flu it's a conspiracy it's whatever I mean take a look at New York City it might not be grossly yeah. affecting you it's not affecting me that much at Prescott Arizona but it is affecting Americans and we we should be uh, we should remain humble to that fact and then empathetic to all the people that are are being grossly affected. Yeah, I think the the the, the paranoia. You know, the paranoia is somewhat disturbing when I look at it. You know, I, I've heard it too, where this is a government conspiracy or it's another conspiracy. You know, 
the amount of logistical effort that it would take for a global conspiracy that collapses the entire the, the global economic circumstance uh, it, it, it's not it's not even comprehensible about how naive that statement is when they're like this is a conspiracy there's no conspirator that would actively look at uh, collapsing an international economy uh, there's there's just not nor could they orchestrate it across multiple different languages and cultures and governments and that, that the amount of effort that would take is so uh, not comprehensible it just doesn't really hold much water to me and more importantly so what if it is we can't do anything about it because ultimately we're shutting down pieces of our economy we're making changes specifically to the way that we interface and the way that we socialize, these are becoming the new norm. So the faster you acclimate to that, the better you're going to be either way. Uh, I've, I've, I've looked at it as, and I've said, this is great. I don't have to get on an airplane for a while. Fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I can stay home. It, it's finally socially in vogue for me to, to, to do more of my work on VTC and via a laptop from you know, with my daughters playing behind me. Great. We've, we have made that into a norm for me. So selfishly, I'm saying, great, but it's going to be, so, it's going to be socially acceptable for me to spend more time with my family and away and not traveling every fucking five or 10 days to do something. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I'm going to make those changes in my life. I'm going to embrace them with positive psychology. What I tell people today within the company, like negative psychology spreads faster than COVID-19. If you become negative, if you dwell on these negative items within the society and you don't embrace the positive, you're just going to spread that shit faster than COVID-19. Well, I don't want to be part of that, right? I want to be part of the solution. Uh, I think you're part of that solution too. I know you are. I've, I've, you know, I, even though we only talk about once a year uh, via, pod- <laughs> via podcast, man, I see what you guys are doing over there. I fucking love it. Uh, if if you guys have any questions, I'm sure Michael be more than happy to to answer some of those in DMs when he when he's like get between the thousands of DMs he's probably getting every day. Is there anything else you want to circle up with, man? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we end the show? No, man. I just um, I, I I like to close out these kind of conversations related around COVID-19 with um, just a little bit of science. And I'll just say, just so people understand the reason, one of the main reasons that COVID-19 is such a problem is its rate of infection. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've explained this a couple of times, but the R not factor, which just simply take it as a ratio of how many people are infected and how many people they infect the average right now that we're seeing is about 2.5 to 3.5 people are being infected with COVID-19. So if you're infected, you could infect asymptomatically infect three people, up to three people. Well, right. the the R-naught factor for the standard flu is about 1.2. So that's right. one-to-one ratio. The, In fact, the Spanish influenza of 1918 to 1919 was 1.8. So it's two. Right. So yeah. it's one to two. So this is one to three. So the rate mm-hmm. of infection is serious. And originally when this came out, they talked about masks. And the reason I know they politically came out and said masks don't work is because they wanted to harvest and uh, 
the mask for the healthcare providers, the N95s and 99s. And that's right. acceptable in a sense. I, mm-hmm. But to say that masks aren't advantageous in reducing the spread is a, is, is a lie. Because yeah, it the, is. Yeah, the science now is mm-hmm. that that are not factor for somebody who's masked. So if I'm asymptomatic infect, infectious, is a one-to-one. So now yeah. we're getting to the, the rates of, of, of flu um, if we mask up. So if I'm wearing a mask, I'm doing so to protect you and vice versa. So I would say to people out there listening to this, take this seriously, even if it's not grossly affecting your community, and then have empathy for those that are not and do your best to mitigate risk by masking up. I, I couldn't agree more, Mike. Uh, Mike Loverfield, Craft Survival, former Green Beret, uh, multiple skills, fantastic human being. Uh, I would say you're probably a beacon of positivity and motivation for those who need it. So check out Fieldcraft Survival. Thanks a lot, everybody.